Today on Blue 58, the Packers are on their bye week, so we need to talk about one big question. What are they? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here a bit later in the week than usual. Yes, this episode is getting out a little bit later than I thought it was going to, had planned for it. It's been a bit of a week. We've got some life stuff going on, which I'll be able to give a little bit more info about in the relatively near future, and I think it's going to be a positive development for the podcast and for the Power Sweep as a whole. Stay tuned for that. There's some other stuff going on. As you can tell, I've got a little bit of an illness going on. What is it exactly? Who knows? Is it a cold? I don't know. It doesn't really feel like a cold. Is it a sinus infection? doesn't feel like that either. I feel just kind of gross, kind of stuffy in the head. Not great. Uh, but here we are doing a podcast anyway because we're kind of trending upward. Also going on, um, the sleep has been a little bit hard to, to, to come by. The new co-host, who is now just over four, month old, has, um, four months old, has made the uh, unique creative decision to start adding teeth to his repertoire. Uh, that is a unique creative decision at four months old. So uh, I do respect him as an artist. So interested to see what he does with it here. So uh, we will try... To soldier on. Um, and I, I don't expect any serious interruptions here. The plan is to still get out three podcasts this week. That might not happen, but we'll be back on schedule for sure uh, with three next week. They may be a little bit abbreviated, but we we will see. Um, uh, got some good content in the works, so I'm excited to, to get in the studio more regularly next week. But to the larger point, to the, ti- uh, to the title of this podcast, what exactly... Are the Packers? I think that's a good question to ask here in the bye week. It's good to know what you are. It's good to take a second and look back and see what we have learned about this team. That's something that we talk about. We've talked about every season that we've done this show 16, 17, 18, now 19. Boy, that has gone fast. Um, What exactly is the team that you start covering in August? In November, because at the start of the year, you really don't know what that team is. Their characteristics, their unique qualities sort of emerge over the course of the year. No team is the same season to season. I think we all understand that. So now we got to take a second and talk about what exactly this team is. What will they be? That is a question we will get the answer to a little bit later. And we will take that one up next week, middle of next week, hopefully, uh, as we look towards the stretch run here. Got a nice little six-game run before the end of the season and the playoffs. Also, there are only six games guaranteed for us as Packers fans remaining this year. Uh, That has gone awful fast. Overall, I'd like to start off with a little bit of a truism. You are what your record says you are. It is a truism. It's a cliche that people show out, throw out, but it also happens to be true. Because, guess what? You are... What your record says you are. The NFL, with its endless replay reviews and just the way the schedule works with having games on Sundays, one game on Monday, one game on Thursday, encourages a week of navel-gazing and looking back on stuff saying, well, if this way play went different and that play went different, our record would be this instead of that. But it didn't and it isn't, so you are what your record says you are. And the Packers' record says that they are 8-2. and two. First in the NFC North, the second seed in the NFC, and in the driver's seat for the top seed in the NFC. Should they beat the 49ers and win out, 
they will be the top seed in the NFC playoffs. That is what they are. However, your record, I think, only says what you are to a point. Because once you get to the playoffs, records don't really matter anymore and might result in a more disappointing result for you, your team, and your fans. Is there an example of that from recent Packers history? You bet there is. Let's remember the 2011 season. That year, of course, the Packers went 15-1, and but here come the New York Giants, who pretty much take the Packers apart and end their season with zero playoff wins. So, to look at that question, what did the Packers record say that they were? Well, it said they were 15-1, and but were the Packers really as good as a 15-1 and team? Well, technically, yes, because they went 15-1. and So, by definition, everything they did was the action of a 15-1 and team. But I think they also overachieved a little bit that year, which meant that they were vulnerable. And boy, did they ever turn out to be vulnerable. So, how can you know if your team is overachieving? I think there are two pretty easy stats to understand that we can look at. Expected wins and loss, losses and records in close games. Let's look at that first one first. Uh, expected wins and losses, also called Pythagorean wins uh, in the, the baseball analytics world. Basically, this just looks at point differential when you're scoring your points and comes up with a basic expectation of, of how many games you probably should win given your point differential in the course of a season. I also mentioned the second one last week, uh, teams' records in close games. Close games are, defi- are defined as your wins and losses in games decided by seven points or less. So what did these things say about the Packers in 2011? According to Pro Football Reference, expected wins and losses said they were really about a 12-4 and four team. They did overachieve a little bit, and, you know, overachieving is good. You want to get better results than you're expected to get, but that, again, also meant that they were vulnerable. And I wonder if we'd have felt as bad about the Packers' performance in the playoffs that season if they'd been 12-4 and instead of 15-1. and I kind of think so. It still would have stung because they got whooped pretty good at Lambeau Field. But I don't think it would have felt as much like as much of a letdown if they weren't 15-1. and That year, the Packers were also 4-1 and in games decided by 7 points or less. Generally, you expect teams to go about 500 in games decided by seven points or less. That's how evenly matched NFL teams are. If a game is within a touchdown or so, it's really a toss-up. Who could win? And just a couple plays break differently, you could have a different outcome. If a team is really hammering opposing teams and not playing any games that are within seven points, you feel pretty confident about the quality of team that they are. If the Packers had been more like 2-2 and in close games, that brings their overall record down a little bit too. They're not as much of an overachieving team, and we may feel a little bit different about their playoff exit that year. So, that background having been set, what do these things say about the Packers in 2019? Again, according to Pro Football Reference, expected wins and losses says they're actually about a 6-4 and team. That's how the expected points would have them breaking. They, at least from my standpoint, scored a couple wins this season that could have gone either way. They also had a loss that I think could have gone either way, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, The Vikings game early in the season hinged on a couple really tightly officiated plays, and I'll just leave it at that. The Lions game also really sticks out, just a one-point win. uh, That could have gone either way as well. 
maybe that's where that record comes from a little bit. You've also got the record in close games. They are 4-1 and one in games decided by a touchdown or less, and that is more than a little borderline overachievery. Uh, had they beaten the Philadelphia Eagles, that record would be even better. And that's another game that really could have broken either way, I think. It, it hinged on a late interception from Aaron Rodgers uh, that easily could have been called as a pass interference. If that play goes a little bit differently, that outcome might be different as well. And we might be talking about a team that seems to have overachieved even a little bit more. And again, I want to emphasize overachieving is not necessarily bad. It just changes your expectations and I think leaves you a little bit vulnerable. The bigger question for me is how this Packers team has gotten to this point. How have they been able able to quote-unquote overachieve so far this year? The biggest thing Really, I think the biggest thing is that they've just been really, really healthy. Right now, the Packers only have two players on injured reserve that I think they'd like to have, and maybe not even as starters. Raven Green and Lane Taylor are those guys. If Raven Green was healthy, he'd probably currently be right there with Ibrahim Campbell for that dime safety, hybrid safety role. Lane Taylor would not, I don't think, be starting at this point in the season. I think we've seen pretty clearly that Elton Jenkins is better than Lane Taylor now. He may not have been better than him at the start of the season, but he is now better than Lane Taylor would have been, I think, at this point in the season. But it's never bad to have a starting caliber player around on your roster. Even if you're not actually starting him, offensive line depth is never a bad thing to have. Beyond that, there's almost nobody on the actual injury report. The Packers are remarkably healthy at this point in the season, and they should only be getting healthier with a week off from football this week. So maybe they are overachieving a little bit, but they're doing it just by staying relatively healthy and not making big mistakes. Another big factor there that we'll talk about here a little bit on offense. The Packers' offense. Overall, I think this is a bit of a top-heavy offense. Again, not a bad thing, but most of their offense right now is running through Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. According to our usage rate stat, about two out of every five offensive snaps are going to either Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams. It's not, again, a bad thing if they're getting that much heavy usage, especially if you can do it like you did this past week, uh, basically splitting their carries so each guy only got about 13 to 15 touches. You're not really wearing either of them out. But again, we're talking about areas where the Packers may be vulnerable. If one or both of Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams would go down for a two, three, four game stretch, that's a big chunk of the Packers' offense going down with them. And to a lesser extent, this is true of the Packers' passing game too. A lot of their targets are funneling through one or two guys. And that could be a little bit of a problem if the Packers are without a couple of those guys for an extended period. They were able to weather the loss of Devontae Adams, to be sure. But if they would lose another pass catcher out of that group, would they be able to do the same thing? It's at least a fair question. I don't I don't think the answer is definitively no, but it does get harder for the Packers to do what they want to do on offense. What are the Packers doing well on offense so far this year? Uh, a couple of things. First, hanging on to the ball. The Packers are just limiting turnovers to an almost extreme degree. Aaron Rodgers is always very good at this. And in fact, the, it's worth looking at where his interceptions have come over the past couple years. He's been unusually bad in the red zone. And I say bad on a relative scale. 
uh, but two interceptions this year in the red zone, three in the last two years. Uh, that is a huge outlier for Aaron Rodgers, but there's a caveat there. All four of the interceptions Aaron Rodgers have thrown, has thrown in the past two years have been touched first by a Green Bay Packers player before they were actually intercepted. Those interceptions are as much a result of Packers players not holding on to the ball as anything else. Packers are also running the ball very well this year. So far, they are fifth overall in the NFL in rushing touchdowns. They are pro football, or excuse me, football outsiders, third ranked rushing attack by DVOA. And Aaron Jones is having a career year, obviously. But funnily enough, he's actually running for fewer yards per game this year than he did last year, just less than a yard and a half or so. Uh, but still, uh, a, t- a touch less. He's averaging 58.9 yards per game on the ground this year versus 60.7 yards per game on the ground last year. His real big improvement on offense this year has been in the passing game, which we will talk about, well, right now. The Packers have also succeeded this year on offense by passing efficiently. Uh, they do have the fifth-ranked passing attack by DVOA overall. They are 11th overall in passing yards, despite being just 16th in passing attempts. And Aaron Rodgers is having one of his most efficient years in a long time. He has the highest adjusted net yards per attempt figure he's posted since 2014. Uh, His average this year of 7.56 adjusted net yards per attempt is above his career average. Uh, Also, interestingly, 48% of his yards passing this year are coming after the catch, which I thought would be a big increase over last year because the Packers have really emphasized screens and short routes and quickly developing routes that allow players to run after the catch. I thought that would be a big bump for him over last year, but it's almost exactly the same as it was in 2018. The real different thing for him is completion percentage. He's completing about 2.5% more of his passes this year than he was last year, and it's resulted in huge gains for the Packers. It's interesting how just making things slightly easier for Aaron Rodgers has yielded enormous results. It's almost like your offense doesn't just have to be wildly complicated, yet still rely on super simple things to succeed. Amazing. Let's switch over to defense here. Overall, I think the defense has a tendency to be a little bit top-heavy in at least two ways, a lot like the offense. Uh, Among the pass defense, um, only two players are really getting their hands on the ball for the Packers. Jair Alexander and Kevin King both have over 10 passes defense, 12 and 11 right now, respectively. But nobody else on the Packers defense has more than five passes defense. Not super concerning, but I think noteworthy. Uh, in that you'd like to see a few more players active uh, when the ball is in the air. The Packers are also a little bit top-heavy when it comes to sacks, and to a greater extent, production ratio, a stat that we track here at at the Power Sweep. Uh, Preston Smith has 10 sacks, Adarius Smith has 8.5. Nobody else on the Packers has over 1.5 sacks. Earlier this year, um, when I was doing my predictions for 2019, I predicted that nobody on the Packers would have more than 8 sacks, but as a whole, they would be in the top five in the NFL. I think he even said top three in in team sacks. And f- instead, we've gotten almost the exact reverse of that. The Packers have two guys that are piling up almost all of their sacks, and they're not ranking super highly uh, among the league rankings when it comes uh, to total sacks. This is a bit more concerning um, 
Then the the passage defense situation, even admitting and pointing out that there are more ways to impact a passer's performance than with just a sack. Still, I think you'd rather have more guys getting to the quarterback than fewer. Just look at the Carolina Panthers, who we talked about last week. They have a bunch of guys who are able to get to the quarterback on a fairly regular basis, and that adds a lot to their defense. Let's talk about what the Packers defense is doing well. Uh, According to Football Outsiders DVOA stat again, uh, they are the 13th ranked pass defense. That is down significantly from where they were earlier in the season, but they are also facing the hardest schedule in the NFL by that same outlet. They could see some improvement in some of their raw numbers over the final six weeks. They get a chance, I think, to beat up on a few bad quarterbacks. Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones, two rookies for sure. Potentially Jeff Driscoll for the Detroit Lions, depending on what Matt Stafford's injury turns out to be or how serious it turns out to be. Uh, that could be the difference between the Packers having kind of mediocre stats against the pass and some pretty good ones. Uh, the raw numbers are probably going to improve as a result, so maybe some more, more guys will get in on the uh, pass defense party. But what are they not doing so well? Overall, I think this defense is better than last year. I don't have any numbers to, to illustrate that point, though, although there are some. I know there are. Um, but it's more of a feel thing. This defense does feel better than last year, and maybe that's just a, a result of having a team that feels worth following as opposed to a team that, well went 6-9-1 last year. Uh, But what are they not doing so well? The the Packers don't do everything well on defense, and there are certainly a couple noteworthy things that they're not doing so hot at. The run defense is not great. You may have heard about that. The bigger question to me is why. Why is the run defense not doing so well? First, you're going with a lot of sub-heavy personnel. The Packers have a bit of a light defense to begin with, and you get lighter when you take off a linebacker and insert a hybrid safety in his place. And losing one of your good hybrid safeties will have a big impact if that's how you want to play football. And that's exactly what happened to the Packers. Uh, Raven Green went out early in the year, and they had to rely on Will Redmond to be that sort of in-the-box safety um, for quite a while until now Ibrahim Campbell is back from his injury. I think it's also become fairly obvious over the course of the year that Kenny Clark could use some help up front. I think he's still having a pretty good season. Some of the advanced numbers from some of the real close defensive line watchers point out that he is getting double-teamed at an extraordinary rate, uh, more frequently than just about any other defensive tackle in the league. Uh, But he still could really use some help. That would alleviate some of those double teams if anybody could really step up next to him. I don't think that's Dean Lowry. I think he plays a different enough role that this isn't really for him. I'm thinking more along the lines of Montrevious Adams or Kingsley Kiki. Uh, Adams had a lot of positive press in training camp. Uh, He didn't show a ton on the field. In the preseason, I thought, though he did look better, his effort looked better. He does look a little bit lighter than last year. We need to see a little bit more from him. Kingsley Kiki, I thought, would be further along as a rookie at this point in the season, but you get what you get with rookies, especially towards the middle and later portions of the draft. It doesn't look like it's going to be this year for him. Maybe in the future, I still like what he brings to the Packers, but Kenny Clark could use a friend. And then you've got the the Blake Martinez factor. Yep. He, he does pile up a lot of tackles, but they tend to be four yards, five yards downfield. He does not make a lot of splash plays in the run game or in pass defense. So I think that is a third factor contributing to the Packers' lackluster 
run defense. Let's talk about special teams and then kind of put a bow on this whole thing. Uh, real quick here, the Packers kickoff return unit is bad. It's not doing super well. The punt return unit is historically bad. They currently have negative yardage on the year. Kick coverage, meh, just kind of meh so far this year. Don't don't have a lot to say about that, plus or minus. Uh, but the penalties, this is noteworthy. Uh, the Packers had 26 penalties on special teams last year. They have just 10 so far this year. So on pace to be better. But Tony Brown, a guy I've defended and called to be cut, called for his release, whatever, on this show, um, seems to be taking it upon himself to take on the the spiritual successor role uh, to Josh Jones, who is a one-man special teams penalty magnet. Uh, he somehow this season got two penalties, two special teams penalties on one play all by himself. So that makes up 20% of the Packers total. I think he ended up with three in that single game. He is basically a penalty waiting to happen. So despite all the good things that he does, all the energy he brings and just sheer athleticism he brings, you wonder at what point is enough enough. In the actual kicking stuff, I think the Packers have been pretty solid. Uh, Mason Crosby has been relatively reliable. Well, very reliable. He's only missed the one kick so far this year. And J.K. Scott was kicking the crap out of the ball earlier this year, though he does seem to be tailing off a little bit as the season goes on and the weather gets worse. Overall, I think the issues with special teams are more personnel-based than scheme-based. I don't have a lot of data or information on the scheme, but it's screaming obvious that the Packers have nobody opposing teams respect in the kickoff or punt return game, especially in the kickoff return game. Teams are just absolutely content to kick it high and short and just kind of take their chances knowing that nobody the Packers put back there is really going to uh, put a scare in them in the return game. And I honestly don't know how you fix that midseason other than trying everybody and anybody who you can think of to return kicks. Maybe if Marquez Valdez-Scantling is healthy after the bye week, why not give him a bit of a shot back there? Could not hurt, I I, I think, especially with his uh, ongoing plummet down the wide receiver depth chart being a, being a bit of a story here. That'll be an interesting thing to see play out over the final six games of the year. Overall, now that we've talked about all these things, what are the Packers. I think the Packers are a team, to put it in like a one-sentence summary, I think the Packers in 2019 are a team that we should expect to make the playoffs, and once they get there, they could beat any team in the playoffs, but also lose at any point. I think this is a really good Packers team, but they also seem like a pretty high-variance team. You're never quite sure exactly what you're going to get. I think if anything was true about that 2011 team, to kind of circle back to where we started, you would be pretty certain that you were going to get absolutely 100% full-throttle offense each and every game from that Packers team, until, of course, you didn't. But they were going to put up 30, 35 points a game no matter what. Because they were just that good on offense. And they were reliably good on offense. For the Packers, you may not get that. They play a lot more matchup football, I think, this year than they have in the past. It's not just about who the Packers are. They have to take advantage of opposing weaknesses a lot more than they used to. That's not, again, necessarily a bad thing, but it just is a thing. It's different than what it was in the past. 
As a result, I think this Packers team can beat just about anybody. If they catch anybody on a slightly off day, or if they just have a really good day themselves, they could beat anybody in the NFL, I think. The flip side is, if they are off at all, they are also vulnerable to just about anybody in the NFL. And that's why when you look at some of the games deeper down the Packers' schedule, especially that three-game stretch where they finish out against the NFC North, you wonder if there might not be a surprise game in there where they just do not have it for a particular game. I, I wonder if they lose a game to the Bears or the Lions late. Those just seem like dangerous games against potentially dangerous teams because I think the Bears and Lions are both teams that could beat just about anybody too. They could lose to just about anybody as well, but that makes them pretty dangerous too. It's going to be interesting to see how this team uh, shapes up over the final six weeks of the season, and we will dive a little bit more deeply into what exactly that could look like next week on Blue 58. But for right now, that's all I've got for you in this episode. I do appreciate you listening in, taking the time to download, to listen through. And if you like what you heard, uh, please leave a rating and review wherever you happen to be listening, whether it's on uh, the Apple Podcast app, uh, one of the Google apps, on YouTube, uh, give this a, a thumbs up, a like, uh, and subscribe wherever you are too. That's going to help more people find the show. If you want to take your support to the next level, check in at patreon.com slash the power sweep, donate a dollar per month. That's enough to offset some of our costs and say, thank you for the, the great work that I think that we're doing here at the podcast. Uh, hopefully it's of value to you as well. And you can always check out our t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you've got an idea for the show or just want to say hi, you can reach us at thepowersweep.com on Facebook or Twitter or through email. We do appreciate everybody who takes the time to reach out because every bit of feedback helps us make this entire operation better, which furthers our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what I think we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.